right piece, right? And I think that's, that's how it is in finding a pastor for a church. You're looking for the right piece. And, uh, and I know that the Lord knows. Jerry Cook, my mentor, used to always say, don't pray for the new pastor, pray for yourself. Because God already chose that pastor. Decide whether or not you can follow him or her. And uh, so we're excited that the Lord knew we didn't. Took us a while to figure it out, didn't it? It's not a bad thing. Probably all in his divine providence. Before we lay hands on you guys and install you, I have some questions to find out whether or not you get to stay. If you will respond positively, i.e. we will, then um, that's the right answer I'm looking for, just to give you a little tip, okay? <laughs> so will you devote yourselves to the worship of Almighty God, to the study of the Word, and to personal purity and maturity in Christian character? Good. We'll give you, will you give yourselves to the evangelization of your communities and to the striving for salvation of people. Will you, through preaching, teaching, and servant leadership, dedicate yourselves to the edification and to the maturing of each member of the congregation? Will you mature the development, nurture the development of spiritual leaders, and enlist with the approval of the church council additional staff as necessary to carry out the ministry of this fellowship? Will you present the Great Commission and encourage financial prayerful support of missions and faithful participation in the extension tithe? Will you, together with other members of the council, have general responsibility for the business, financial integrity, and other administrative matters of the local church? We will. Will you present and strengthen the God-given distinctives of the Foursquare Church, its goals, and its ministry? Therefore, according to Acts 20, 28, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of, of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Congregation, if you will receive them, will you respond to this same, uh, not same question, but similar? Well, different. They're actually different. But will you respond similarly? Will you faithfully pray for your pastors? Will you support them faithfully by serving the mission and the vision of this church? Will you support them financially by bringing your tithes into this storehouse? It's always the weakest one. Will you live biblically and deal with your offenses with each other and with leadership, with the individual, with grace, and with forgiveness? Well, upon the confessions of you guys and you guys, can we have the leadership team, teams, council, whoever is on leadership come, and uh, we're going to lay our hands on these guys and receive them. So come on. And as I'm handing, as they're coming, I want to give you this gift card, a little, little dinner in here for you. And uh, one thing that's inevitable in a church transition is change. And in that car, not only is there a dinner, but there's a commitment for $2,000 for when you want to upgrade that overhead projector. Um, <clears throat> so um, 
Uh, I got the 2G whenever you're ready to pull the trigger. Father God, we are so thankful that you brought the walkers here. Lord, it's not just uh, coincidence that they were in the right place, right time, on vacation, cruising through here as Mike and Nancy were fit, finishing up 36 years of faithful ministry. It's because that you have made them for this assignment. And Lord, we receive them as the pastors of Foothills Foursquare. We're so grateful and so thankful, Lord, that this is coming together. Now may the Valley of Wenatchee never be the same because you have called them here. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 <laughs> That's a good problem right there. When the kids are excited to go back to the kids' class, that's a good problem. Well, um, I am the uh, Foursquare bureaucrat of this area, Fargo to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, you don't want to see me uh, again, so it's good to be here. I hope to not have to come again. Um, people that I become really close friends with, council members, it's never a good sign because they're having to call me on a regular basis, so don't be calling me. I really don't think you'll have to. But part of it, being a part of, part of a family of churches is so different than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. It used to be, in fact, when I started this, this job, there was a letter of transfer of membership. Do you remember those? When someone would move from one city to another, they would simply transfer their membership from one Foursquare church, Methodist church, Catholic church, whatever it was, to the other one. You know, that's not how the world works today. Today, we are gathered together around mission. Not like we weren't on mission then, but we were divided then over things like doctrine and certain things of do you lift your hands or sit in a pew or use a guitar or an organ or any of the above or, you know, all those kinds of things that divided the church. Today, we're on mission and we have 206 churches in the Northwest District from Fargo to the Pacific Ocean. 1,600 across the nation and about 19,000 or 1,900 congregations in the U.S., 70,000 worldwide. One of the things that when you give, you never probably even dream of, but when you give, a portion of that really actually goes all over the world. One of the things I'm most excited about today is the uh, Turkey Foursquare Church in Turkey. My friend Isan Ostbek, who just recovered from heart, heart attack recently. Um, I've been to Turkey with him, and right now, as you know, the world is in crisis, particularly in the Middle East. And nobody knows what to do with refugees, we just know everybody else should be taking care of them. And so one of the things that excites me is that your giving is actually helping the Turkish church feed people that are running for their lives from persecution. And that's exciting to me because you'll find the ability for people to share the love of Jesus with people that are so afraid for their own lives. And I just want to thank you for your faithful giving and say that's part of what your family is doing all over the world. Today I want to talk to you um, in my message about something that, that kind of messed my life up. Have you ever had anything mess you up? In a good way. And I never thought this would happen to me. I was invited to go to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. And I thought, 
I've always heard that's a cool thing. I should go. And then I started thinking about the state of America, and I thought, I don't even want to go there. Washington, D.C., in my mind, is like the biggest mess there is in the world. I'm sure there's bigger ones, but in my mind, it's not a good place today. And I'm thinking of all the political dissent and the hate on both sides of the aisle, and I'm thinking, like, I don't even know if I want to go. Um, so, but I decided to go, and, uh, and it messed me up in a very, very good way. And I want to talk to you about that experience and how it, how it messed me up, and I hope to mess you up, too. <laughs> Went to the National Prayer Breakfast, where there's 140 nations gathered. And the prayer breakfast, I didn't even really know what it was. I just heard it was a cool thing. You should go. Okay, I'll go. So I go, and, and sitting, standing behind a pulpit like this, is a Republican and a Democrat. And they're sharing a service about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't even put two sides of the aisle together in the same room, let alone behind a pulpit talking about Jesus together. And I'm kind of like, kind of like freaked out. Like, seriously? And these guys are like nice to each other. They like each other. They, they meet weekly in a, in a prayer uh, breakfast or some sort of thing, you know? And I'm thinking, like, how in the world is that possible? Jesus, that's how it's possible. And what's happening today is we are so divided over so much, and yet here in Washington, D.C., of all places, in my mind, the most divided place in the entire nation, people from both sides of the aisle can gather around Jesus. 140 nations different religions, all gathered in the name of Jesus. And I'm kind of having a hard time with that. I'm like, that doesn't work in my worldview. Because when I flip on the news, there's one from both sides of the aisle that hate each other, and I can't see them having lunch together, let alone praying for one another. And that's what this whole gathering was about, how to pray for each other. So during this time, I decided to become a Jesus follower. And that's my first point today. Now, that doesn't seem like it should be shocking, but before, I would have described myself as a Christian. Today, I'm not going to use that term as much. Not because it's not an accurate term, but because it means different things to people today. It doesn't mean what I'm trying to say. And what I found was, these guys that gathered, these 3,000 of my closest friends in Washington, D.C., did not gather around Christianity. They gathered around Jesus. So I became a Jesus guy. Now, I have a friend that's a Jesus guy. He introduced himself. I'm a, I'm a Jesus guy. And I, and I always thought, that guy's kind of weird. I'm not going to do that. He's a good friend of mine. He houses a really large church in my town. We hang out. But I, I'm just not going to do that. Can't you just be normal and be a Christian? Can't you? I think you should be able to. And he's like, I'm just, I'm just a Jesus guy. And... And he's the one that invited me there. And about halfway through, I, I grabbed him and I said, this is where you got that Jesus guy thing, isn't it? He goes, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> so why would you become a Jesus guy as opposed to a Christian? Well, Jesus loves me. Jesus died on a cross for me. It's Jesus that rose from the grave. It's Jesus that rescued me from my sin. It's Jesus that gets my devotion. So I'm changing my title. Why? 
because Jesus has been my God. He always has been. But years ago when I became a Christian, that's what people thought I was talking about. Today when I say become a Christian, they assume that I hate them. They assume that I'm a bigot. They assume that I'm talking about some sort of political agenda. They don't think that I'm talking about a God that loves them, that died on the cross for them, that would do anything to help them deal with their lives. Some think I'm talking about a cultural worldview. Some think I'm talking about moral laws. Some people would never consider following Jesus because of the term Christian and what it means in their worldview. Cultural Christianity is dying today. Did you know that? I think it's good. Don't tell the Christians that because they're freaking out. I think it's good because I think most of them probably weren't Jesus guys or gals. I think a lot of them were just cultural Christians. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. So words change. How about the history of the word Christian? Acts 11.26 says this. Really, the only true passage that you can say the word Christian is used is this passage right here. Acts 11, 26. When he found, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Why were they called Christians in Antioch? First of all, did they call themselves Christians? No, they did not. Those, the people that were observing them said, those are Christians, little Christ, people that are trying to act like Christ. That was not negative or a slam. It was just an observation. These people are Christians. They're acting like Christ. They're a small Christ. They want to be like Jesus in the way that he loves. Little Christ. The other term, the other place in Scripture that you could argue it is used, um, depending on the version that you use and the translation you use, is Acts 26, 28. It says, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Paul goes on to say, well, short or long, it doesn't really matter. It just matters that you do. And, and the bottom line is, he's saying, do you want me to become a little Christ? So the present day meaning of Christian isn't what I'm trying to say when I say that to people. So... I had the opportunity to meet one of my favorite authors when I was there. I just happened to get invited to this reception. And there's a guy there named Carl Medeiros. Carl Medeiros wrote uh, probably the book that I'm most familiar with that he wrote called The Act of Not Evangelism, The Art of Not Evangelism. And in that book, he tells stories. He tells a story of interviewing 100 people in Boulder, Colorado. And he asked them two questions. I'm going to say, Two words, and I want you to give me a thumb up or a thumb down on those two words. I forget it was a 10 or 100 people. So 100% of the people, he said, here's the word, Christian. 10 for 10, 100 for 100, thumbs down. Negative meaning to that word. Next word, Jesus. 100% thumbs up. People are not upset with Jesus. They're upset with Christians. And for good reason. So here's what happens in this book by Carl Medeiros. 
He's, he's a radical guy. I, I love how he does life. He's literally in Baghdad during the uh, desert storm, handing out Bibles in the streets of Baghdad. He goes to check into his hotel, and the hotel guy's like, what are you doing in Baghdad? And Carl says, well, I follow Jesus here. Jesus is in Baghdad? He goes, well, yeah, I followed him here. The guy's like, whoa, you're kidding me. My dad always said there was this Jesus guy, but I, I, didn't, I didn't really know. Uh, this guy came to our village years and years ago and gave us this cassette tape that was the stories of Jesus. We listened to that cassette tape every night before we went to bed until the thing just wore out. My dad says there's a holy book written about Jesus. He goes, well, yeah, there are. That's what I've been doing all day is giving those holy books away. He goes, well, I have to have one. Carl says, that's not good. I just gave them all away in the streets of Baghdad. So like, wait a minute, let me go through my luggage. You know how it is when you're traveling international, there's just like, everything's a mess. And so he goes over to the corner and he just starts pulling all of his stuff out in the hotel lobby. He's digging through all of his belongings, looking for one more New Testament, which is what he's been passing out. He says, I got one. And brings it back, hands it to the guy. The guy grabs the phone instantly and calls his father and just goes into Arabic and just, and pretty soon, within a few minutes, there's this older Middle Eastern man who would fit your total stereotype, long beard, and he hands him the book and the guy goes in the corner and he starts looking through the book. Pretty soon, he looks at his son and he says, yes, those are the stories of Jesus. And they're so excited that they get the stories of Jesus. Same guy, Carl different book. He's preaching in the Middle East. A big, huge wind and rainstorm come through, and uh, they have to run for cover, because if you've ever been in a sandstorm, it's not a lot of fun. As they run for cover, the local Amman says, you want to come preach in my mosque? He's like, excuse me? Yeah, I have a building. You can use it to, for your meeting. And he's like, are, are you serious? Yeah. So they go, there's, they pack this place out, and as he's getting ready to get up and preach, the Amman taps him on the shoulder and says this, hey, do me a favor, only talk about your Jesus, don't talk about Christianity. Isn't it interesting? So I'm thinking, that works internationally, what about the United States? Because the United States, I think, is changing rapidly and not necessarily for the good but it's becoming more and more clear so i'm in a class a couple weeks ago and i'm i'm at lunch with these all these international people and i sit down with a guy from tajikistan missionary these guys uh two guys speak five languages missionary from morocco uh, a lady that was raised in indonesia um, now lives here um a russian guy who's immigrated um from religious persecution Two plain old white guys, Moses Lake guy and myself, named Dave and Dave, and a Mexican. <laughs> and um, so I said, okay, I'm thinking about this, and I'm kind of processing this. I'm going to speak on this this weekend. I'm in this class, and it's taking all my time, so I can't study, so I need to pick your brain for my message. So, like, help me out here. And the word Christian, is it a good word where you serve as a missionary? I was like, no. We're not even allowed to use the word as from our organization. I'm like, excuse me? No, you can't say Christian. No, the guy from Tajikistan says this. There's no way I can use the word Christian because where I do ministry, it means that you eat pork, 
you drink alcohol, and you're loose with women. I'm like, that's what it means? Yeah, that's culturally what it means where I am. I cannot use that. If I talk about Jesus, they're totally interesting. The guy from Morocco says this. I can't use that word. It simply means that you're a loose French woman. I'm like, what? That's, that's crazy. No, no, that's what it means where I do ministry. I can't use the word. It doesn't mean the same thing. The Indonesian-raised missionary, missionary kid now living in the U.S. And what I think of when I think of in Indonesia, when you're born, your parents choose an affiliation of which you cannot change, or it's called proselytization. So whatever you're assigned, that's what's stamped on your government ID. That's what that word means, where I do ministry. And my friend, the, guy, the Russian dude is literally a friend of mine. Like he's a four-square pastor in Hollywood. And I've hung out with him a bunch. I know him, and I can see him getting agitated. I'm sitting right here, and I can just feel he's like angry at these people telling these stories. And he says, it's a good word. I'm like, bro, talk to me. Why? My father spent 10 years in a Siberian prison for that word. Hmm. So here you have different cultures, different worldviews, and different definitions of what that means. And for my Russian friend, I think it really meant you're willing to follow Christ anywhere. If you're willing to go to a Siberia prison camp for a decade, you pretty much are pretty serious about this. But what I, I did when I started thinking about this, I said, do words change? Yeah, they do. Here's some examples. The word nice. The word used to mean silly or foolish or simple. Today, it's a compliment. If you said somebody was simple or foolish or silly, that's not a compliment. That used to be what it meant. How about the word silly? Silly went in the opposite direction. In its earliest uses, it's referred to the things that were worthy or blessed. From there, it became to refer to the weak and the vulnerable, and more recently, those who are foolish. How about the word awful? Something bad, right? Pretty easy definition. Did you know the word awful literally meant awe of the majesty of God? Do you say, God is awful? You wouldn't say that because it means something bad. But it used to mean that. Here's my favorite one, fizzle. Don't be offended. I'll be gone in an hour, maybe two. <laughs> the word fizzle used to mean a quiet flatulence. Think SBD, fizzle. But college students had it start meaning to fade out or to fail at something, to fizzle. You, you don't use those terms the same way. How about the word flirt? 500 years ago, flirting was flicking something away. And opening a fan is how you would, you would flirt, by opening the fan briskly with a jerking motion. Now it involves playing with people's emotions. You flirt with them. I think the word Christian doesn't mean what I want it to mean when I say it. So that's why I'm joining my friend and I'm becoming a Jesus guy. John 1.10 says, He who was in the world and through the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came to the Father full of grace and truth. Look, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our savior and our shepherd. Jesus is who gives us life. Jesus is life. Jesus is unifying. Jesus is our God. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our love. Jesus loves all mankind. And Jesus does not discriminate. I'll do two quick points to finish my concept of Jesus being the God of the universe and me becoming a Jesus guy. And the second is that heaven is real. In the same conversation with these international people, when I told them what I was talking about, and I said I wanted to cue it into heaven, they go like, are you speaking in a a war-torn area? I said, well, I'm from Tacoma. (laughs) They said, most Americans don't like to talk about heaven. I said, why? And from their world perspective, it's like, because life is good here. Why would we think about life there? Whenever we speak in war-torn areas, they want to talk about heaven because they need a hope because they might not have tomorrow. Well, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but yet we just think about how wonderful life is here and what we're going to do this next week. I'm going to the Masters. It's a golf tournament. You can be happy for me. (laughs) I'm not planning on going to heaven this week. America is so comfortable A friend of mine named Samuel Rodriguez says, the temporary rewards of this world cannot compare to God's eternal blessing. They don't compare. And yet we are so happy with the rewards that we have here. John 14, 1 through 4, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Heaven is real. Jesus, my third point, is coming back. He's coming soon. It might be just for you. It might be for all of us. Who knows the way our world is going. But the reason that the church exists today isn't for ourselves. The church is the only organization in the universe that doesn't exist for itself. It's not a country club where you go and you get what you want to happen. If you're here because you like the way things are done, you won't stay very long. Because that's not why we're to be here. We're to be here because we're on mission. Because Jesus is coming back. And because you're a Jesus person, I hope, you want other people to join you. And let me just tell you right now that it's not about your convenience or your comfort. I've been a member of country clubs. And what happens in those clubs is that people want things perfect. They want them their their way. I remember uh, when I was on Whidbey Island, 
there's this, we, we had a great golf course and it was really cheap and there was a whole lot more country than club to this place, but I loved to golf and so I was a member there. And these guys would give, they would give the greenskeeper such a hard time because they like would find a, a ball mark or something, you know, they, they had such an entitlement mentality. Because they pay the dues, therefore they're paying that guy's salary, therefore they want it the way they want it, and you better put it that way. The church is in the country club. We're not here because we get to do it a certain way. Mike and Nancy led you very well for 36 years. They retired, they moved on. God bless them. We don't want to, to change everything because they're gone. It's not like the wicked witch is gone, now we can change everything. That's not at all the point. Life changes, have you noticed that? The only thing you can do to keep life from changing is what? Die. Because it's going to change whether you like it or not. And all you have to do to not change is try to stay the same. And it'll change around you. Everything's changing. And let me tell you, the church better change or it will die. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Everything, including you and I, have a life lifespan. But if we're on mission and we're reaching people for Jesus because he's coming back, guess what? Then all of a sudden, we have new life. It sounds like you're preaching from the end because he's coming back and you're going to die and everything's going to... No, that's where new life happens. When you die, you live. John 14, 3 says this, I will come back and take you with me. John 14, 28 says, You heard me say I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So, all of that to say, Jesus is my everything. When I talk to people today, I'm not talking about Christianity. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. They don't get it. They don't get what I'm trying to say. When I say I'm a Jesus guy, they look at you like you're a little bit odd. We are, right? It's okay. But people are okay with Jesus. They think he's, he's good. They think he loves them. They think that he's probably a really great man. They don't know if he's the son of God, but they're at least open to conversation. When you talk about Christianity, you're talking about a hundred different things that may or may not be inside their worldview. You have no idea what they're thinking when you say the, that word. It's not like it's a bad word, but it's not necessarily a biblical word either. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to start Christianity. And he's not coming back for Christians. He's coming back for Jesus, people. Followers of Christ. Who you're friends with here, that's who you'll be friends with there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, because of your great love, we get to be here today installing great new leaders for a great new future for Foothills. But more than anything, Lord, may we be on mission and may our story be of your love. May it not be of cultural Christianity. Fill us, God, with your grace and your mercy and help us, Lord, to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.